before we jump into the service uh, or into the sermon, I just want to mention that this is the last week of this uh, sermon series. We've been doing Pop Solutions, and what we've been doing is is thinking through. There's lots of things that we hear in the world that kind of sound like Christianity and what the Christian message is about. But sometimes when we dig a little bit deeper, we've discovered that those popular solutions to life aren't necessarily what the Bible is teaching. And so we've been uh, contrasting those ideas for a number of weeks now. And uh, next week, we're going to be jumping into a new series on Advent. We're going to be preparing for the coming of Jesus, not just uh, what happened 2,000 years ago, but in our hearts today. What I'd like to do today is kind of give a summary of all that we've been talking about for the past number of weeks and describe it as two uh, basic approaches to life. I think this is, uh, you know, there's things that we, there's ways that we live our life, and if you've been a Christian for a while, we just can assume that it's all about Jesus and all about what the Bible teaches, but sometimes we need to be able to take a second look at these things and say, is the way that I've kind of constructed my experience of Christianity actually being reflected in God's Word? And so what we want to do is look at two different uh, orientations or approaches to life that we can have. The first is going to be about a ladder, and the second is going to be about baptism. We'll get that, uh, to that in a moment. But here's what I think is the typical way that we would approach life. I think we approach life as a ladder. And at the top of the ladder, we have things that we want to accomplish. So we want to be successful. We want to be successful in business, uh, have a great family. And so the way that we'll, whatever the idea of success is, we then break it down into certain chunks in order to get there. So if you want to be successful in business, it might be a really good idea to go to school, and then you're going to need to go into a co-op program perhaps, or, or get some kind of uh, on-the-ground training, and then you're really going to need some connections. And so you've got to make sure that you schmooze really well, and uh, find the right people, do that whole networking thing, and you're going to work your way up the ladder, and you hope that at the end of it all, you're going to be successful. Now, Here's what's interesting about a ladder mentality, is that it seems as though there's always one more, these are called rungs, or steps, all right? There's always one more rung to get to what we hope for. So you look at people who are wanting to be successful in business, and it seems as though we're never quite finished. You hear people talk who we would think have really arrived. I don't know how many millions of dollars you need to have in order to arrive, but there's, you know, some magical number, and it doesn't ever seem like it's quite enough. Or if, they're, uh, if they have a certain uh, segment of the market, it seems like I, I need more of that market in order to be successful. And it seems as though uh, the typical way that we would look at things is that there's always yet another rung in order to get there. How about if the top isn't success, it's about victory? Victory over difficulties in our life, uh, sins that we're struggling with, addictions perhaps. And so what we're going to do is we have this idea of what victory in Jesus, will say, because we're Christians, looks like, and then we break down the steps. And uh, you need to be self-aware and honest about your issues and look at the lies versus the truth. And we, have, we can break this down into a series of steps in order to get there. But what happens when you don't experience that victory that you're looking for? What happens when you feel as though you've, you've tried and tried, you've tried to, to figure out all the right steps, and hopefully the, the steps aren't too wide 
and too difficult to get, or one takes us off in some weird direction. But we, we feel like we've done it all right, yet we still don't experience victory. What's our conclusion? We need to improve the steps. We just missed a step, or we, or we didn't understand something. And so typically, when we have a goal in mind, and we don't achieve that goal, we think that the problem is about the rungs or the steps. I think it's just a natural way that we think. Let's say that it's about uh, a love relationship with God or with others. So we want to we wanna love God. So what do we need to do? We need to pray and we need to read our Bibles and need to go to church. Well done on that. And, uh, you know, we, need, we, we break it down. And if we aren't experiencing that relationship with God that we're looking for, what do we do? We blame the steps. And we should somehow improve these steps because that's always the problem. The steps are always the problem. And I think it's an orientation or a way that we approach life. You want better kids? Uh, you know, they're happier or they're behaving, you, they're behaving better or being more obedient? And they're, if they're not being that, what do you think? What am I doing wrong? There must be a step that I'm missing. There must be a step that they're missing. Something is wrong because we're not experiencing this. I think this is the typical way that we look at life. It's broken down into a process of steps. Now, for sure, there's things that we can do to improve our relationship with God or to become successful. There wouldn't be so many books written on these things if they weren't helpful. So I'm not trying to paint all that as being negative, but I think this is a typical uh, way of looking at life that we find in the world around us. In contrast to that is, I would venture to say, a very radically different way of thinking about how to achieve success or victory or relationship with God and others. And it's summarized in Matthew 28, verses 19 to 20. Typically, we have these verses. They're on our, our, uh, our purpose statement, that we multiply disciples. That's the great commission. And then who love God, one another in the world, that's the great commandment. So usually when we refer to these verses, it's about mission and about going and multiplying and making disciples. But there's something in the middle of this that I'd like to focus on today that I think you're going to find quite helpful. Here's what it says. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. What this is saying at the, at the middle of this is this, uh, if we're going to be followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus, what's the first thing that we need to do is we need to be baptized into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, uh, I've been a Christian since I was 11 years old. I've seen lots of baptisms, and it just seems like an event we do. Uh, that's what Christians do. You, you get baptized. Who knows why, but it's a thing. And so we do that. But what if that idea of baptism is actually a model, uh, a revelation on what is at the heart of Christianity? That if you were to boil Christianity down, it is that through Jesus, we get to have participation in the, uh, the relationship that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Trinity, enjoy as one God. Uh, it would be too many props. But imagine over here, we have four chairs. And in three of those chairs, we have the Godhead. One God and three persons. We have the Father, the Son, 
in the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you know this, but in your heart of hearts, what you and I are longing for is the experience that they enjoy together as the Trinity. It's what our hearts long for, that there's one God in complete harmony, yet three distinct beings who, who contribute to the Trinity, who, who live off of one another, enjoy life together. That is heaven, not some location. That's heaven. And there's a fourth chair, and that chair is where you and I get to sit. In communion, or can I say immersion, using baptism language, immersion into this relationship that through the work of Jesus and by his spirit, we're now brought into this communion with God where everything is complete and whole. This is a radically different way of thinking about Christianity. We can treat Christianity as a religion, and this is the relationship that we want to have with God, and then we follow these steps in order to get there. What we find in the gospel, in the message of, of, of Christ, is that he actually descended from heaven to be with us and to lift us up with him. He's the one who climbed the ladder. And now we enjoy relationship with him through what he's done, not through the steps that we have to take. So we have a new position in approaching life and living out our life. And it's the position of in. That's the position of getting to. I've got a few steps to do, and then I'm going to get there. Christianity begins, doesn't end, begins with being in the Godhead, in the fellowship of the Trinity. Uh, it's, a, it's a radically different way of thinking about being in versus about being in a process of getting to. So, uh, The verse goes on, and we have to explain this because I think it can be hard to understand. It says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So you, we are already, if you call yourself a Christian, you are already enjoying the relationship that God has within himself. You're brought into that. I mean, well, there's so much more I want to say, but let's go on to the next verse. And then it says, teaching them, so baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. So here's what I sometimes feel like Christianity gets described as. Uh, super good news. Jesus came, died for your sins, gave you the gift of the Holy Spirit, and so you have a relationship with God forever. Super good news. Oh, and by the way, I forgot to mention this straight up, but there's also uh, this thing called obedience, and it's kind of in contrast to that. Yeah, you have that, but what you really need to do is obey. And obey switches our minds back to the ladder. And now we need to do a bunch of things, and then we'll really get it. This kind of got it. It was kind of symbolic, baptism, immersion. It was a, it was a symbol. But obedience is then, whoa, then you're really super-duper going to get it, and you're going to have the relationship with God that you always hoped that you would have. But what if obedience means a different thing? <clears throat> what if we are in the, uh, the heart of God? 
And in here, we, we, we know his mind. What he's thinking about, what he values, what he dreams about. And then also, what he's doing, his actions. And we're just in that. And we're receiving his heart. And we're getting to know him. And he's filling us with his spirit. And we're becoming more and more like him because we're in relationship with him. What obedience then is, is simply living out this relationship. It's not like obedience is to get to him. Obedience is the result of being with him. It's what we do because we've been with him. I remember when I, uh, uh, it was my, uh, my 30th birthday, and Debbie uh, bought me a bicycle. I hadn't ridden a bicycle for like a long time because I didn't have one. She bought me a bike, and I promised her. I said, oh, that's so nice of you, but don't worry, I'll... I'll never really be into it, and that was a few years ago. And I really, I really started to enjoy mountain biking. And during that time, I became a mountain biking evangelist. And if you were around me, I would go, hey, nice to meet you. I'm going for a ride on uh, Sunday afternoon. Do you want to come? Now, I'm not thinking. Uh, I, I am enjoying something, and it comes out of my mouth. I'm not, I, it's, a, it's a result of what I'm valuing and caring about. Some of you have hobbies. Do you know what your hobbies are? And you just talk about them. You just talk about them all the time. What's interesting about it? Or you're reading some new book. And you're not thinking, oh, I should be, uh, I should be telling someone about this. It just comes out of who you are. So what if that's what obedience is supposed to be like? that we've soaked in the goodness and kindness and generosity of God. And then it gets expressed in what we're doing freely, joyfully, not as an obligation to get somewhere. It's because we're already there and we can hardly wait to tell someone else about it. Hardly wait to live out of that. It's a different way of thinking. So let me ask you, we're going to focus on three things. Where are you confused Defeated and cold-hearted. Where are you confused? Where are you confused right now? Let's talk about that success thing. Uh, Maybe you've got a job offer, and should you take that job offer? It'd mean that you'd get more money, but you'd have to move. Or you would get less money, but it'd be more fulfilling. It's confusing. You're not getting along with somebody and you don't know what to do. Should I bring it up or should I not bring it up? Not bring it up might be easier, but then I keep getting triggered every time you're in the room. And so what should I do with that? And it's confusing. And so we live in the state of confusion. Now, in the Trinity, is God ever confused? He's never confused. He never goes, wow, that's a good point. I've never thought of it. He's never done that. He's never goes, this is, this is over, I've, I'm overwhelmed with all that's going on. I'm answering, you know, Mary's prayer in India, and there's someone in Europe that also needs my help. I don't know how I'm going to manage all that. Like, he's never, he's never confused or overwhelmed in any way. So, uh, 
how do I, how do I work through my confusion? I rest in his non-confusion. I rest in who he is, and he's not confused. And so now I live my life, and I might understand more, but actually I might not. But it kind of doesn't matter because he's not confused. And so I'm living out of this relationship with a God who is always wise, all-knowing, knows me personally, and has my best interest at heart. I can rest in that. I rest in that position, and then if there's something to do to make a choice, it's based on who he is and who I am in him and the peace that I have here. And then I make decisions based on that, not based on how clever I am and in some, you know, pro-con list. Have you ever done the pro-con list? Boy, that's hard. Because you have 10 pros, but you have three cons. But the third con is like worth 10 times the points. <laughs> so now I don't know whether to do the pro or the con. <sighs> right? Have you ever tried to manage that out? You know, I really love what the Bible says. Uh, uh, I, and I forget, I forget who, but I just thought of it now. But, but, but uh, God says to someone in the Bible, uh, go do what's in your heart. Don't you love that? You've been with me, you know me, now just go do what's in your heart, because you've been with me. The odds of it going wrong are just super low, because you know my heart, you know my mind, you know what I value. And so live out of that. Go be free. You know, I find people, they'll even take uh, something as beautiful and powerful as, as prophecy and intercession to make it a ladder. And I, and I need to know what the heart of God is. But there's something about being in God that you just get to go do stuff and you get to do what you think is best. And you're not paranoid about it. Did I make the right decision? And Oh, man, I never factored that in. I never saw that coming. It doesn't matter because he's not confused. And he's doing okay. And so if I'm living out of that, was it the best decision? I don't know. But I'm not sure that I care as much as I used to. Because before, my decisions were rungs in a ladder. And if I missed one, I'd miss the point. But now, I'm already in relationship, and I'm just living out of that relationship, and so I'm free to decide things and not have all the pressure about whether I'm getting it right or not. Are you seeing how it's different? It's different already being here instead of figuring out how to get to be with God. Let's say about defeat or discouragement. Um, I have a feeling if you think about your life for a minute, there might be some discouraging things in it. If you don't have any discouraging things, take me out for coffee, I'll help you with that. <laughs> uh, but uh, I think all of us have some areas of discouragement. Everybody does. I, can, I have a very long list of things that, I, that aren't right in me and that I'm longing for, for the people around me, including you. I can get discouraged about that. Now, uh, I can take my discouragement and I can go, okay, what do I need to get out of it? Or... I can say, Father, are you discouraged? He says, nope, I am not discouraged. I'm at peace. And I'm ruling the world. 
and my spirit is alive, flowing through this place, flowing through, people, flowing through people's hearts. I am not discouraged. I am full of hope, and I'm in control, and I know where I'm going. And I sit in that, and my heart's changed. I don't overcome my discouragement because I figured out some steps. I find hope because I've been with the source of hope. And I've been changed in their presence. And that changes everything. You guys, when I read my Bible, I often don't come away with a new thing to do. Often, most of the time. I've read this thing cover to cover a lot of times. Uh, some passages, dozens and dozens and dozens of times, just a lot. And so I kind of know what it's going to say next. Like, I've, I've read it before, I've, and I read the end of the book. I know what's going to happen. <clears throat> you know what I'm doing when I'm reading the Bible? I'm being with my Father. And I'm being reminded again of who He is and of who I am in Him. I just needed a minute to remember what's true about him. I'm not looking for how I should behave, although that might happen now and then. I'm mostly thinking there's been so much in the world that has distanced me from you, I need to just come back and be recentered on you and remember that you are not confused, that you are not discouraged, even when you look at me. You are not discouraged. I'm discouraged when I look at me. You are not discouraged when you look at me. You are full of hope. You're not wondering, wringing your hands, whether it's going to be okay or not. And I need to be with you to know that. And then I live out of that knowledge of being in relationship with the living God. I see myself differently. I see my world differently. I see you differently. I'm not discouraged because he's not discouraged. And he is my eyes. He is my heart. He is my mind. He is the one who, who defines who I am. Not me. Cold-hearted. In case I haven't hit everyone in the room, let's... Uh, work on being cold-hearted. You know, one of the things that I very consciously do in preaching is not bring up, not talk much about evangelism and about reaching out. And here's why. Because I'm paranoid of you thinking that this whole thing is about mobilizing you for our agenda. I'm just really nervous about that. I just don't ever want you to think that this whole thing was a setup to get you in to the system and then use you for some agenda that the church has. Now, for sure we have an agenda, but it's over there. It's not over there. We have an agenda so that you would know the love of the Father through the work of the Spirit and His Son. But uh, let me talk about outreach for a minute. 
outreach can be one of these. Um, uh, I should share my faith, but I don't care, I don't know how, and I'm afraid. So get to work. Is God cold-hearted? Does he love the whole world? Everyone knows, you gotta know John 3.16 if you don't. It's the one that you have to know. <laughs> For God so loved the world. Does he love the whole world or just bits of it? He loves the whole world. And when I'm with him, I get his heart. And my heart's warmed by being in his presence. And I can't help but care about my neighbor. I can't help but talk about Jesus. I can't help but pray for the people that I come in contact with through the whole day. Not because I'm obligated, it's because I've been with him and he doesn't have a cold heart. Do you see how this changes everything? It changes my life from a pursuit of something to an experience of what is already true. And so we do intercede. We do actively go out. We have work to do. But it's from this position, not from that. And it changes everything. It changes everything. You guys, if, I, if my heart grows cold, what I assume is not I need to find a better step. It's I know I've been away from my father. Because my father's heart isn't cold. And so my response is to draw close to him, not figure out I, uh, a process of development. So wherever we are, we start with the idea of being in, of being in. I think it's uh, really interesting. You hear people describe how you become a Christian, and they say we invite Jesus into our heart. Uh, there's biblical precedence for that. But the, 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 the deeper and, and wider priority is that uh, Christ doesn't come into us, we come into him. We come into the, the relationship that he enjoys and who he is. That's the Christian message. So this is described in Galatians 3.27 as being clothed. It says, all of you who are baptized, immersed into this relationship of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. Now, I've said this before, but it bears repeating. Uh, when we think of clothing, we think of hiding something. Uh, in, in Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve wanted to clothe themselves, they were ashamed and guilty. And so they found some fig leaves, and what they did is they, uh, they faked it using clothing. And so I think when the world thinks of clothing, the world thinks of not really being real, but of hiding behind something, kind of hiding who you really are. You, you, you've heard this, uh, this saying, you fake it till you make it. Have you heard this before? This is not really true, but you're faking it, and hopefully, you know, it'll catch up. What, what you're faking will catch up and somehow become a reality. Uh, biblically, when... Uh, when the Bible talks about being clothing, clothed, it's not about, uh, it's not about faking something. It's about being immersed in, in who God is. So, uh, I purposely wore my blazer today, not to be impressive, 
but for analogies. We've got lots of analogies today. And the idea is, is that uh, this blazer is Christ. And he clothes me. He, he consumes me. He wraps himself around me. And I get to be found in him. This is Christian clothing. Well, I mean, not this. But, but this is the idea of what clothing is. Is I am found, I am in him. And I have peace there and rest there. And when I walk into life, I walk into that life in him. This changes everything. It changes everything, you guys. I'm not alone trying to figure it out. I'm in the maker of heaven and earth who knows me intimately and has gone ahead of me in, 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 in every day. And now my job is nothing more than to remember what's true and to live out of that, otherwise known as obedience, to just live out of that reality of being in Christ. Oh, man, what a radically different way of thinking. So I'd like to summarize this, two approaches to life. One is about, uh, uh, one is about being clothed. The other is about climbing. And I concern myself for you that you've made your life about climbing and not about being clothed. And you're working super hard to try to be a good Christian or even just a good person. And Jesus comes and says, let me, let me envelop you. Let me come around you. Let me flow through you. Come into the relationship that I enjoy with the Father. And by the Spirit, you'll be one with us. And, and my heart will be your heart. What I care about, you'll care about. Just, just redefine who you are by what I've wrapped you into, not where you think I want you to get to. Reorient your mind by what's really going on. The idea then is that Jesus is never confused. He's never defeated, and he's never cold-hearted. And he wraps us in himself, who is always at peace. Can I dare say, always victorious. And always warm. Oh, God that we would receive what you've already done for us. You see, he descended from heaven and came to dwell among us. And he infuses us with his spirit so that we can now be with him. Ephesians says that we are actually seated with Christ in the heavenlies now. And this is our position living out our life. I think of how frantic I get in how I live my life and how I don't know what to do now and, oh, what about this? And what are the people going to think about me? And, oh, I really screwed up there. And, and just my mind is going a million miles an hour. And I'm constantly trying to mid-correct 
and I'll call that repentance or something. I'm constantly trying to mid-correct my life so that I can get back on track. And I feel like the father just taps me on the shoulder and I don't know what he says, but you know, yo, or I don't know what he says, but I'm here. I'm just here. Like, can you, like, can you see me? I'm just here. And if you can see me, I think it's going to be okay because I'm doing fine. Like, I'm, I'm, I really am. You know, you see that in, uh, in dramatic movies. You know, somebody's on a, I don't know, they're falling off a cliff and they're hanging on with a branch. You know, and what does the hero say? You know, just look in my eyes. It's all going to be okay. Just look in my eyes. Maybe it's true. Maybe if he just looked in his eyes, he would see that it's all going to be okay. You guys, we're doing fine. I want to, uh, I want to spend a minute uh, in, a, in a ministry time with you. And I'd like to take these ideas and just give you a minute to experience this, all right? You just do it for a minute. You can close your eyes if you want. You can be in a posture of receiving whatever's comfortable for you. First thing that I would invite you to do, and this is not, uh, this is not uh, some yoga meditation thing, but what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to breathe in and breathe out again. And just rest for a minute. Man, you guys have been working so hard this week. There's so much going through your mind. Just, just breathe for a minute. And as you breathe in again, I'd like you to breathe in the relationship that Jesus has given you with him. Just breathe that in. Just breathe it in. Just breathe in his spirit. The spirit is breath. Just breathe in his spirit. Holy Spirit, <clears throat> show us where there's a place of confusion, a place of defeat, a place where we feel cold and self-protected. And we just, okay, so picture a place right now in your life that is that. Where are you feeling cold, defeated, or confused? Just, Holy Spirit, show us now where we're feeling those. It shouldn't be hard, but show us where we're feeling those. And now the Father invites you to breathe in his spirit in that place. Just breathe in his spirit in the place that you're confused, in the place that you're angry and self-protected, insulted, in the place that you feel it will never get better, never. Breathe in his spirit. Let himself now clothe you with his presence. I thank you, Father, that you're not confused there. 
And maybe we don't know what to do next, but we don't need to. And if you wanted to tell us something, you would. You're not defeated. And maybe our defeat has nothing to do with our performance, has everything to do with whether we've let ourselves be clothed with you again today. Thank you that you're not cold, you're not angry. Clothe us, envelop us, immerse us, baptize us in your presence in that place. We're gonna be, worship team, you can come up. We're gonna be uh, doing a worship song that is just gonna be about receiving who God is. So as you, as you keep those, those things in your mind that seem to be distancing you from the presence of God, let this worship just invite God into those places. And let's find him there.